that where Hospital One didn't make any notes on the drugs in their records at all. I thought they were writing them down. They didn't. Then they also put down in their records that I had a husband. So here you got them making me gay and they're sending me to a religious hospital that goes on record as having issues with gays. Because they refuse to do certain sorts of treatments for any LGBTQ community member. They don't want to, they say it's their God-given right to refuse treatment because these people are immortal sinners. Yeah. Well, in his medical records, there's a section in there that says his pregnancy was uneventful and the baby is doing fine. This is in black and white in his medical records. You know, you have a heart attack, they say, oh, avoid stress. But look with all the stress they have done. It was like they intentionally wanted him to die. They did all this to get payment, but yet because they thought he was gay, they wanted him to die. Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the U.S., killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, remediescounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. And a quick recap, in part one of the interview with Larry and Jane, Larry was having chest pain and Jane drove him to the hospital where he was diagnosed with a heart attack and sent by air ambulance to another hospital, a Catholic hospital, where they were met with hostility and a chaplain determined to keep Jane and her son from seeing Larry. At the end of part one, Jane was blocking the Catholic hospital's chaplain from coming into a meeting with the doctor about Larry's medical care and condition. And things are about to get even stranger and more frightening. If you would like to support the podcast, you can hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or any of the other major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medicalerrorinterviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. If you need the support of an experienced counselor for dealing with medical error or living with chronic complex illness, 
you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. And a word of warning, some folks may be triggered by Larry and Jane's experiences with the healthcare system. And as we're going in the door, I turn around to him again, and I've asked him and told him numerous times to leave. So I turn around, I put my arm across the door, and I said, I don't want you in here. You need to leave now. And he wouldn't. He came in and sat in there. And then this doctor, a few months later, came in, and the first thing out of this man's mouth was, I didn't want to be here tonight. I'd rather be at home. I'm tired. I just want to be at home. Because that monster chaplain man is sitting over there, I don't really say a lot. This guy is giving an account. He said, I'm supposed to show you this video, but I can't get it to work. I'm tired. I want to go home. Do you really need to see it? And do you have any questions? And I said, no. So he gets up and he leaves. And this monster said, well, they'll be willing wheeling him out in a little while. And so he heard a noise and he gets up and there are the two women wheeling him out. And I, they are the two meanest looking women I have ever seen in my life. They just looked like they were so hateful looking that I actually stepped back because I'm like, why, you know, why do they look so disgusted, so mean? I, he was so drugged. I could tell he was drugged. He would have reached for my hand, but he didn't, he didn't even, I don't even, I didn't even know at the time he even knew I was there. And that monster man was still there. So I just let him pass and they took him. And then the monster man said, as if my son, who was, who is a college graduate, he's a teacher and I can't read signs and find her own way around. He said, I'll take you to the waiting room. And we were like, no, we can get that. No, I'll take you. Okay. And so he takes us there and he says, um, it'll be about 15 minutes before you can see him. And he leaves, he says, I'll be back. Well, he never came back. And so two hours we spent there without any word. I, I had just about had it. I was in shock. My husband had had a procedure. How did that happen? We weren't given any word. We were guarded like we were common criminals. And so when I saw what that nurse was doing, I was so shocked that I didn't react. I should have had my hands around her neck. That's, that's the type of person I normally am. But I was in such shock that my husband, what happened? What, why did he have a procedure? How did this happen? He was stable. We were supposed to talk that I didn't react until the next morning when I woke up because she told, we were there for about 10 minutes. She told us that we were past visiting time, that we couldn't stay. I later found out the hospital has a policy where one person can spend the night. She lied. She, she told us, the only thing that she told us information was that if you don't have this number that she gave me, you can't talk to me. If you lose it, you can't ever talk to me. So we took it. I said to him, our daughter is really worried for you. She's at home. 
I'm going to call her. Can you say hi to her and that you are okay? And so he said to her, and this is all he said, hi, I'm fine. Then we left. I, I feel so bad. So you and your son had to leave the hospital because there's no more visiting hours. Uh, and you, Larry, are, are left there. Yes, yeah, I'm left there. And after they had left, uh, uh, you know, the sheet was pulled down again. And, and uh, you know, I, I believe I was that way. Uh, there were some other nurses in and out, uh, you know, during her shift. But uh, until a new nurse came on, um, uh, I don't believe that, I believe I was left laying there explode, exposed. Uh, you know, I could, I, in and out, I, I, I'd sleep, I think. During the night, I would sometimes wake up to, you know, what felt like a touch in, you know, my genital area, uh, or by, by laughter. I don't remember being covered till uh, the new nurse come on. I had a male nurse on that on the next shift, and I was covered after that. Now, and you know, even then, you know, the next morning on Sunday morning, I mean, uh, my gown would he kept my gown down, and when he had to examine my groin area, you know, he would you know, raise the sheet up and only examine my groin area. Uh, you know, that about 6 a.m., I guess it was according to my records, uh, with this I was blonde nurse. with the same blonde nurse, yeah. I was nauseated, woke up nauseated and uh, I vomited all over myself. And, uh, she, you know, stripped the gown off of me and uh, turned me one side to the other side, back and forth while she was changing the sheets on the bed. And, uh, you know, I was, again, I was left naked there for a while while she went to get supplies. And she came back and she cleaned me up again. And finally she, you know, put a uh, clean gown on me. And then it was shortly, after there then you know i don't know a little while passed when you know i got a, a new nurse but you know we found out in the medical records that they knew that vomiting was going to be a side effect of everything that they'd given me and that they had prescribed a pill to keep me from getting sick and throwing up but she never gave it to me so, you know, laying there flat on my back, you know, I, I vomiting, I could have choked to death. Yeah, you can't be any more vulnerable than being so sick and hospitalized. And just to be left naked is even adding to the vulnerability. Yeah. Well, there was no reason. There, there, there was no medical reason for her to do that. There's protocols. If you read about nursing care and cath lab procedures there's no reason they say well you you will be covered your genitals will be covered at all times so why wasn't his go ahead well i was going to say that you know on on sunday you know when 
Jane came to visit, you know, I was a little bit more alert, but I was still floating in and out, but I could think a little bit. And uh, of course, the doctor had already been in that morning and, you know, had told me about this procedure and, you know, what they, what they had done. And, you know, and I, you know, I, I must have been in such bad shape that, that that was the only option. And, you know, Jane must have, you know, agreed to it. But then when she came in and we got to talking, we asked each other, well, who gave permission? You know, neither one of us had given permission. And and she told me what she had seen with the nurse. And I kind of told her, well, I really didn't want to talk about it. And, you know, I didn't really want her to say anything that I just wanted to get out of there. Uh, that I didn't want, you know, anything to prevent me from getting out of there just as quick as I could uh, go that, you know, I, I just had to get out of there, you know, and then of course, uh, you know, when I got, got home and was able to take a shower and, you know, talk to Jane and, you know, I, I just didn't really want to talk about anything. Didn't want to talk about it, but, you know, I had nightmares and I still do some Saturday nights are horrific. <clears throat> You know, I can't believe, you know, what they did. It's hard to believe that they could be so repeatedly unprofessional. That's not unprofessional. That's not, I mean, it, it's beyond a, unprofessional. They were intending to harm him. She was using him to harm him. There's no question. <clears throat> you know, there's, oops. I exposed you, and then there's what they did to him. There, there's no excuse that that was intentional. Well, and you know, with the the medical records and going back through and trying to piece things together and writing down the timeline and all the details, you know, basically, um, you know, I I couldn't understand why they would treat me like that, and why you know. But it, it started making sense after we started finally getting all the records and being able to go through them that where Hospital One didn't make any notes on the drugs in their records at all, okay? They didn't s s talk about my reactions to those drugs. I thought they were writing them down. They didn't. Uh, then they also put down in their records that I had a husband. So here you got them, you know, making me gay. Yeah, Hospital One. Yeah, thought I was a gay married man. And they're sending me to a religious hospital that goes on record as having issues with gays. Yeah, they're in a lawsuit in Texas appeals court because they refuse to do certain sorts of treatments for any LGBTQ community member. They don't want to. They say it's their God-given right to refuse treatment because these people are immortal sinners. I mean, this is a hospital that is supposed to be compassionate, supposed to turn, a, turn you know, have, have no eyesight as far as 
quality of care for everyone saying that no. So we think because he refused treatment at hospital number one's main hospitals, they did this even with him because this hospital number two, it was sent in his transfer papers electronically. It was sent with him. That's what they thought. That's why I think I had that confrontation with the nurse because she was expecting a gay person to come in, his, his husband, which my, our son dresses differently. I think they thought he was his spouse. There, it makes that they, they addressed him all the time. Looking back, they didn't address me, they addressed him. Um, it, we, they sent him to cardiac rehab and the cardiac rehab was very, uh, we didn't like him. So we requested the records and we found this looking through the records. We also found that on the cardiac rehab interview with the first hospital, he again told them that he didn't want painkillers, that he refused Versid or Benzos. He flat out refused. We saw the nurse writing it down, but when we got the records and we looked through the records, they had crossed that out. The first time they just didn't put anything down. The second time they wrote it down and then they crossed it out, which we have that evidence of them crossing it out. So there, there's a pattern there that, you know, you don't have the right to say. And then CMS, Center for Medicare Services, said, said to me that doctors have the right to do anything, any procedure they want to you, and even give you a drug that you have refused to be given. That's scary stuff. You have a right to refuse medicine, and they have to honor that. But see, they made no note of it. They knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. They, that ER doctor <clears throat> sat there and he lied to us, to our faces. He knew he had a plan. He did with another doctor. There was never going to be us going and talking. They could have, I was there in time before the procedure started. I had a cell phone. They could have called me. They never made note the second hospital of all the drugs that he had had prior to arriving. So when they said that he was alert times three, they're liars because they never made note of the fentanyl and the morphine because they wanted to make it look like he had agreed. He didn't. I mean, it's just so many things. They kept, I figure they put that chaplain to guard us so that we wouldn't interfere with the procedure because they were going to do it. They had called that cath lab in special. He was going to have that procedure. It didn't matter if he didn't want it, he was going to have it. And then because he was gay, I think this nurse thought she was making points with hospital administration by torturing this, this man because she and her social media account says that she is the most beautiful woman of all, that young children walk up to her and ask her if she's a movie star because she's so beautiful. So I think she was doing that thing of, I can turn him straight with my beauty is what I think she thought she was doing. 
I mean, she's, she's just a predatory idiot. I mean, there's no way she should be with any patient because she's, she's a predator, but this happens and they don't do anything about it. They don't care. He never had, he's, his issue isn't modesty with medical providers. That's not the issue. This, this goes way beyond, I, I don't want to be seen by someone of the opposite sex. This, this is not what this is. This is, they raped him in effect because that's what she did. She used her position of power and authority and he was drugged out of his mind. He wasn't able to physically stop her. He wasn't able to mentally say no because Versed is a date rape drug. That's what it does. They thought that he wouldn't remember any of this because Versed is also used in the U.S. because of that quality. It erases your memory. That's why they, they, they use it. Fentanyl makes you unable to literally move. That's the other reason why they use it. In Europe, they don't use this drug for this procedure, those drugs. Over 75% of the time, they use nothing because it's not needed. In the U.S., they like their patients drugged. They like you drugged, submissive, not able to remember. And because he was so drugged, it let them sexually assault him. So he was medically battered, number one, by the air ambulance when they put the fentanyl in him without his permission and against his will. And number two, even the doctor who did the procedure on him is the one responsible to make sure there's consent. He wrote in his notes, the consent was done before he arrived in the cath lab. When he got to that hospital, he was put directly on the cath lab table and the consent was done by his cath lab staff. So that doctor, he had no clue where it was done, but that was a second case of medical battery because he had done a procedure that he does, didn't want done, and now he has to live with the consequences of it having been done for the rest of his life. He has to take medicine that keeps the stents from killing him that in turn causes other things to go wrong with him, like kidney failure, diabetes, liver failure. Um, because the guy who did the procedure was not experienced, there should be no more than five GYs of radiation used. They used eight on him. So he had higher radiation than he should have had, which he is a cancer survivor. So he would have never agreed to a procedure using radiation, especially that much, but they never asked him. They never told us. He would have refused it. He's got that weighing on him that he had massive doses of radiation. What's that going to do to him in the long term? He's already suffering consequences from it. So, I mean, there's so much that they did to him that it's just, I, I can't get over it. I never dreamed that this could happen. We didn't go there that night thinking any of this would happen. We took them at their word. And this is what happened. I mean, why did they do that? No one can tell me why.
Yeah, it really sounds like, so you were sent to a hospital that has policies that are homophobic and discriminatory, and you got labeled as being a gay man by hospital number one, setting you up for evidently lots of humiliation. And then that intersects with their desire to profit. They're gonna do the most expensive procedures. They don't care what you want. You're an object that they're gonna make money from. And then layer that all on with the unprofessionalism slash multiple medical errors. Yeah, it's just unbelievable that this is just one sort of 24 hour period. Yeah. Well, in his medical records, there's a section in there that says his pregnancy was uneventful and the baby is doing fine. This is in black and white in his medical records. There's another section in there that said that he had another six hour procedure. There's another section, 20 pages, where the nurse who was molesting him said that she talked to me and she gave me all this information and that she was at the other hospital when they put the IVs in him. I mean, just lie after lie after lie after lie. There's another place in there where the doctor who did the procedure said that he still has the same blockage that he had going in. That it, I mean, there's just mistake after mistake after mistake. They said that he had three stents put in instead of two. See, that's the bad thing about these electronic health records because they go through and they check the boxes. And so they just go through and they check them. They didn't interview her and go through all this stuff, uh, but yet all those questions she in there knew, yeah. are answered saying that that was her, that was Jane's answers. Because she knows she's supposed to do it. <clears throat> so it just allows them to go right through. They know what the procedures are. So the ERs, EHRs prompt them. So if you have cardiac cath, it tells you what should do, what should be done, and the, the sequence. And so all they have to do is click, 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 click. And that's what they do. But his medical records are so full of lies and falsifications that they're unusable. We actually had to figure out, did he have this other procedure done? How many stents does he have? We had to go and figure that out elsewhere because we, we, we had no clue. We were worried because what, what all did they do? We, we have no clue. You know, you have a heart attack, they say, oh, avoid stress, but look what all the stress they have done. It was like they intentionally wanted to die. They did all this to get payment, but yet they kind of, because they thought he was gay, they wanted to die. I can't imagine being a gay person and going for medical treatment, especially at a Catholic hospital. I mean, there's just no way I would crawl away. I would crawl out of an ambulance. I would never, ever set foot in one of those hospitals because they use their religion to harm. It needs to stop. If you're gonna be a hospital, you treat everybody and you treat them with respect. You don't harm them. They, even in their hiring practices, they say that 
they have the right to supersede state and federal laws. I mean, they say it right there in black and white, but if you don't, if you're not in agreement with their philosophy, they don't have to hire you. It's in black and white, anyone can read it. It, it. It's frightening. We had no idea that was going on that night. Yeah, there's the stress and distress of having, you know, health problems and a heart attack. But that seems kind of small compared to what they did to you and the trauma and the PTSD that you suffer from. Mm -hmm. Well, and for a long time, I, because we don't trust them. I, 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 we don't trust any of them. Mm -hmm. So we haven't went for counseling. And we're not going to because I don't trust them. I joined a bioethics board and a guy on there has kind of taken me under his wing. And once he told me about PSTD, I realized that that's what we have. He has it for one reason. I have it because I made him go that night. I didn't save him. I didn't protect him. I didn't go back there and demand, what are you doing to him? I, I just, I have immense guilt. I, I, I saw what the nurse was doing, but I didn't react at that time. It wasn't until the next morning. I just have so <clears throat> much guilt about it. And that's why I do what I do. That's why this is going to change. We can't get an attorney because in the medical records, the nurse didn't say I molested him. I guess you have to have that kind of confession nowadays to get an attorney. Um, uh, Indiana Attorney General says they're not going to investigate because it's not in the medical records. The nurse didn't say I molested you. They don't care to do investigations. Attorneys that we have talked to, they said, yes, you, you have case. You have it in very, a lot of points. There's a thing called the Patient Bill of Rights as a federal law, and each hospital has that. My friend said that that's an implied contract that is a breach of contract because all those things like patient dignity, the right to personal body, bodily privacy, the right to take part in your treatment, the right for your treatment to be explained, blah, blah, blah. They broke each and every one of them. If there was an attorney who was really ethical, they would take this case and do it. And do you know how many other cases that they would have? It would be a class action suit because they break these bill of rights all the time. It's just a piece of paper to lure people into the hospital so that they feel, oh yeah, they're looking out for me. And then, then they do what they wanna do. But the attorneys that we've talked to, they say they won't deal with this hospital because it's particularly vicious and aggressive that the cases that they have you know taken against this hospital that this hospital will bite them to the very end and then there's nothing left when, once you tell them the name they know so, so they know from experience that this hospital will fight 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 and try to either hope you die before there's a settlement or you go broke before there's a settlement mm -hmm. that's that's their goal and you know, they, they wrote us a letter saying, if you don't like it, go somewhere else, when I complained. And then the doctor wrote a, uh, a note saying, if I done anything, 
I'm sorry. If, what do you mean if? Medical battery's a big if. You did a procedure without consent. You did a procedure he didn't want. He had actually told the other hospital, no. You, he was so drugged by the time he arrived at your hospital, he couldn't say no because physically he couldn't even move. But yet you lie about him being alert. I mean, his medical records are just, it's just a book of horrors. It's just- well, in, the, in there too, they, they tried to make me diabetic. Oh yeah. And, I, and I'm not. And so for months, I got calls from medical providers wanting to provide me diabetic supplies. Even the insurance company yeah. kept calling me, well, you need to have a, your diabetes wellness checkup. Keep telling them, I'm not diabetic. But your medical records say you are. And you can't get them to correct it. See, then they tried to say that he had it because he had high cholesterol. He doesn't, he never has. They took his cholesterol test without fasting and it was all within the perfectly normal, even in the exceptional levels. So it wasn't, he didn't have a heart attack because he had high cholesterol. He didn't have a heart attack because he had high blood pressure. He didn't have a heart attack because he's diabetic. They took his, his, um, his glucose reading when he was having a heart attack. Now any good cardiologist knows when you're having a heart attack, your blood glucose levels raised naturally because it is a stressful event. My son was sitting there with his blood glucose levels topping out near 500 that night with insulin. So his was a little bit high that <clears throat> night because he had had a heart attack and his food was undigested sitting in his stomach and it was a high carb meal because our son wasn't home that night. So we had a high carb meal so yeah, it was high. I know that because I, I know what diabetes is. Apparently they don't, but, but they're paid. Insurance companies here in the U.S. pay them for chronic illnesses. So if they could have tagged him with, with having diabetes, the insurance company would have gotten more money for him. So they get more money for him now because the stints. So uh, he was charged on his bill for two rooms on one day. And it took me, the uh, CMS said, we don't want to deal with it. The insurance company said, well, we don't want to deal with it. So the fraud, no one wanted to deal with it, but I'm like, they're not getting away with that too. So for over six months, I just persisted. And finally, the hospital took it off. And the insurance company actually had the nerve to say that I caused bigger problems because they had to resubmit the bill. <laughs> they don't care that $3,000 was stolen from them. They don't care about that. They just care that now they had to resubmit the bill. So fraud is alive and well and hospitals know it. They know how much they can get away with and they do. They gave him one medicine 15 minutes apart, same dose, same medicine, it costs $25 more 15 minutes later. They're not healthcare centers, they're profit-making centers. Absolutely. So, I mean, his, you know, CMS said, well, he should have 
no reasonable person would have uh, refused the gold standard of care. Well, used to be before they did this, they would give you the medicine to bless, you know, best the clots. It has just a small percentage less of success than the cath lab procedure, just, just a wee bit. It was his choice to, to take that chance. And if it hadn't have worked, then they could have still have done that procedure. But it was his right as a human being to be able to say, I would rather have the less invasive. But they denied him flat out and lied to our faces that right. So here, at least in the United States, there is no such thing as patient rights. They tell you, but there is not. I mean, patient dignity, it's not a right. It's, it's not something you can expect. I have a book here with this doctor. What's it called? It's called Operating Room Confidential. It's by Paul Wang. He is a Canadian. He's an anesthesiologist. He writes in this book in black and white, you can look for it yourself, that they like to have fun with male patients during operations. They fill them full of gas and it makes their penises move and grow very, very large. And so they like to bring in new nurses that has no clue and make sexual remarks and say, look what you do to him. They use patients for sexual gain. So for anyone who says, no, no, they're professionals, what you have doesn't matter to them. They've seen hundreds and thousands of them that it's not a sexual thing. This book written by a doctor in black and white verifies that it, yeah, it is a sexual thing. All this, it is. They use patients for jokes. They, they have no concept of patient dignity. They have no respect. Once you've been drugged and they like patients drugged, you have no control over what they do to you. And why they did that to him, he'll never get ER treatment again. He'll never get in hospital treatment again. Because how do you know what's going to happen to you? You don't until it's been done. He had a medical encounter a couple months ago. It was a checkup. He went in and it was an EKG. And an EKG, for women can be done with just the shirt being unbuttoned. So this MA told him strip from the waist up. That is a word that should never be used, strip. That, that's a sexual word, strip. He was there and because he hesitated, because I could see it in his face, he was just like thrown back into this. Triggered. She started to put her hands on his shirt and I yelled at her stop and she turned and I said take your hands off of him don't ever put your hands on him and she I said isn't in his file that he's a victim of medical sexual abuse and she said no I said well we've asked for it to be in there so again they don't like it they don't put it in there and I said he should be dealt with trauma-informed care that's my friend Archie said Everyone should have trauma-informed care because it's usually 
victims of sexual assault gets trauma-informed care, but he said everyone should be given trauma-informed care. I said there was supposed to be a note in there that he's supposed to get trauma-informed care, and she's like, oh, she said, what do I need to do? Like, well, you're the MA, don't you know? And so I had to explain to her, and she got very nice. And I'll make sure that's in his file. But it's just the difference, even normally, how they treat a male patient versus how, it's like a prostate exam. Here in America, it's strip as you go. The guy goes in, the doctor's there on his stool. There's a female person in the background. The guy says, drop your pants and underwear as you're standing in front of him and he does the frontal exam. Then he tells the guy to turn around and bend over the table. All the while his pants are on the floor with his underwear, so he's got to, you know, comically turn around and bend over. And then, and then he, the, the female person in the room will come and hand him a tissue and he has to clean himself up with them standing there watching, get up, bend over, pull the pants back up, all the while while they're watching, how many women go to their gynecologist and are told, drop your pants and spread your legs? How many women? I mean, that's vulgar, but that, that is how I'm, I wanted to point out the difference. That's the difference in how healthcare is delivered to men and women just in a normal circumstance. There, there is no respect for men at all in healthcare. It's no wonder men don't go for health care because there is such a difference. It's got to change. I'm going to make it change somehow, some way. It's going to have to change because it's not acceptable. Yeah, so you guys try to go the, the legal route, and that's just not even doable. Um, and it sounds you're going down the advocacy route. More than that, I'm an activist. It, it, it's going to happen. I mean... You you see me on Twitter. I'm on there. Yeah, so you're you're an activist and you're hoping to change uh, how men's health care is delivered. Actually, for everybody, but especially, I wanted to get that in there about men. There should be no more procedures without consent. I mean, that is medical battery. That is criminal. That should be a criminal charge. Somebody should go to jail over that. Somebody should lose their license. It's not about the money because money can't buy or give back what they've done to him. It's, it's not about that. I mean, if some lawyer takes it, 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 it would be a big, big case because it would be groundbreaking. You know, because he didn't die, they said, well, it's not really worth anything. But it's not really the money. These people need to be reckoned with. They need to know you can't do what you did. It's not right. You go to jail for you were to give a woman bursted at a party that she went to knowing that the party was going to be wild but if you gave her that drug and then you undressed her and then you called in all your friends hey look at her and you know touch her do you think you would be arrested because that's that's rape that's sexual assault but why can a hospital do that if you were to to stab somebody but say, well, I stabbed them because they needed to let out some blood. You would still be arrested, wouldn't you? Why can they commit a criminal act on him saying, well, we saved his life? 
So that makes it all okay. There were other ways his life could have been saved. In fact, he said, I want it done this way. But they know we're going to do it this way. So we'll just criminally batter you. And that's that. Patient dignity and procedures without consent. The consent needs to be signed. This actual consent form in there says this particular hospital that the doctor has the right to do whatever the doctor feels you need. So no matter what you have discussed, even if you discuss it beforehand with the doctor, if you don't make note of it on these forms, which a lot of forms you can't change anything, once you sign that form, you have in effect voided that conversation saying that, well, we've decided to do this because that form now allows him to do whatever. That's scary. There's a lot of people, if you've noticed on Twitter, who have been caught by this because that form is a blanket clause, a section on his form that he didn't sign saying the doctor can have anyone do that procedure because there are things on that form that I know he, he marks out every time. He never allows for medical students to be in there. So I know for sure he didn't see that form because he would have crossed that out. He would have crossed out sales reps being in there. He always, once that crossed out, he would have crossed out observers um, because they will call in observers just to watch like EMTs and anyone. He would have crossed that out. The thing about the, the sedation, he would have had lots of questions about that because he doesn't allow sedation. There were so many red flags once we actually saw that form, even before we saw that it had been done after he was prepped and ready for surgery. I mean, CMS said that the surgery had already began before the form was ever signed by the medical staff. If he was alert times three, why didn't he sign that form? They won't even tell us what doctor signed it. Even though I hear these stories all the time, it's still shocking, the level and depth and repeated uh, behaviors that hospitals and doctors do to patients. So Larry, how are you doing now physically? Well, physically, I, I, you know, I think I'm doing good, eating right, uh, working some, not getting as much work as I, I used to get done. Shortness of breath, which, you know, could be side effect of the medication. Or the stents. Or the stents. Tiredness. Focusing, you know, sometimes is an issue. Focusing on, you know, what I'm doing not getting uh, distracted i didn't used to have you know that kind of a problem that sounds like a ptsd symptom so i just you know one day at a time yeah he gets quiet he'll just get really really quiet and you probably notice i get really really mad <laughs> we have different ways of dealing with trauma yeah yeah um i can usually tell uh, when he's thinking about it because he will just shut down and me I just like I'm going to take him on right take that and, as a motivator yeah and um, you know he has 
a lot of dreams at night, nightmares. Saturday nights are just pure hell for us. We can't see a clock during that time because it just freezes us into that moment of, well, they were doing this to you at that. That nurse was doing this to you at this time. We used to live for weekends, but now I, I cannot stand. And so it sounds like the traumatic experiences with the medical system has even made you a reticent to seek out counseling around PTSD. Yeah. Well, no, we can't trust them. I mean, you, you don't know it until they've already harmed you. I'm not willing to let them do that to me, or I'm not willing to stand by and see them do it to him either. And you were mentioning that you were considering where you were going to live in the future, where it was going to be safest for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can't stay here. I mean, what, what if an emergency happens? What if he's taken to one of those places again? What if I'm taken there? That's going to end badly for everyone because I will do whatever I have to do to get out of there because I, I don't want them touching me he would just rather die than go there. He would just. And when you say here, you mean not just your state, but you're thinking you need to get out of the U.S., out of the system. That would be ideal because the U.S., especially right now, all you do is turn on the TV and, oh, the heroes, the heroes. They're not heroes. The people who did what they did to him, they're not heroes. How do I tell which ones are which? You can't. Those people chose to be a medical person. They went to school. They chose that profession. They're doing their jobs. And I might add, they're getting paid the regular pay plus double time. But yet those people are heroes. The people were kissing the ground they walk on, bringing them food and oh, poor things. It, I just want to scream. What about him? What about what they did to him? When's someone going to care about that? Never. I'm sorry that you guys have had to go through this. I wish I could say I was surprised, but I'm not. No, there's, there's a lot more people out there that have had these types of experiences than we know of, a lot. And most people never take the opportunity. Something happens, they, they go in, and you know they have emergencies work done or whatever and they think well that's just the way it had to be and they they never look at their records their medical records they never examine them or they would see the the errors that are there and those errors are commonplace you know, but yet you know. those medical records are the gospel to the uh, CMS or the state attorney generals uh, whomever that should be enforcing and taking care of our rights, they they look at those medical records and they say, well, you know, hey, it looks good to me. You know, in, in Indiana, the only way that they can do a procedure without consent is if the patient is unconscious and next to kin cannot be found. He was not unconscious. He directed what he wanted and didn't want and I was there to boot. And it mattered not. not. It did not. So that's what I'm trying to do on Twitter is 
I want people to tell me their stories because these stories, me and another lady, well, there's actually a few, we're gonna get these stories out. We're gonna get them published. I've been talking to our state legislators. I'm trying to talk to national leaders. I want, I want media. If this is the way it has to be done, then this is the way it's going to be done. We have to change it. People have to, have to start being proactive. We just can't remain silent. If they ever get a hold of me, they're going to harm me. I know that. But we can't be afraid of that and, and continue to let them do things like this. We have to stand up. It's our right. It's our body. We are the only ones that should be able to make the decisions what happens to us that it, it's only our right. There are paid advisors, that's all they are. And they are the ones that once we make that choice can carry out our choice. That's all they are. They're no different than a girl at a fast food restaurant. She doesn't tell us what to order or know that's bad for you. It's her duty to serve us. That's all they are. So they need to learn that. That's a perfect way to end. That's wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. Well, so there we have it. Hospital profiteering mixed with medical errors, mixed with religious homophobia, creating more harm and more profits. Thanks to Larry and Jane for sharing their traumatic experiences. And thanks to you for listening to the podcast. Be kind to yourself, be kind to others. If you would like to support the podcast, you can hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or any of the other major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. If you need the support of an experienced counselor for dealing with medical error or living with chronic complex illness, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com.